it's Mother's Day. As I was telling the Sunday school class this morning, many of you know that I don't oft like disengaging myself from the book that I'm preaching through for any holiday. And usually, in many cases, you can find the holiday fits with the text anyway. But this morning, I chose to depart from the text. I chose to depart mainly because, not because it's just Mother's Day, but Mother's Day was very convenient for this week. I think whoever it was who decided to leak the Supreme Court brief before the court released its final opinion on the case that's pending, Missouri has brought it forward, that I don't think they realized Mother's Day was this week. But I think God did. Or even the evil they perpetuate can only be done when God allows it. So that having been done and the possibility of Roe versus Wade being overturned in the Supreme Court should be the subject of our prayerful desire to see that murderous decision struck down. Of course, we know that that will only move things to the state if it goes the way the brief that was released has said. But for us, it's not a matter of federal rights, state rights, or man's rights, or a woman's right to choose, or a man's right to run from responsibility. It is God's rights. And this morning I want to speak on motherhood. I'm going to take us to four mothers in the book of Genesis and one in Exodus. Be thou at peace, I had 18 at one point. <laughs> the motherhood of God in the Bible presented by him. So this morning I'm going to take us to a number of places and let me just use as my introductory text this morning Ecclesiastes 11.5, this by no means is what I shall elucidate in toto, hence the selected texts at the top. Ecclesiastes 11.5, as you do not know what is the way of the wind, or how the bones grow in the womb of her who is with child, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. Let's pray. Holy Father, our Creator God, we reach out to you. And it is this morning that we ask to properly honor you as our God for deciding and purposing to make mothers, and along with that fathers, and a product of that, your blessed children. 
May we, Lord, gain your heart toward these things. May we be renewed in the spirit of our mind, as Romans has called us to be, that our works that we do, our thoughts that we think, our words that we say into this church, into our families, into this community and this world would resonate with the glories of God's reproductive work through mothers. Lord, please help this preacher preach this well for your name's sake is at stake and the children are on the altar save we pray O Lord Jesus as only you can amen the book of wisdom so wise Ecclesiastes scientists today might say to what we just read this morning, oh, but we do know. They might say when Ecclesiastes was written, they did not know the way of the wind, and they did not know how bones grow in the womb of her who is with child. We know. But let me tell you something I have learned from studying science and particularly biological science, that is a favorite field of mine. I enjoy it very much, the miraculousness of studying the human body and the way things work, or animals and the way they work, and the way God has designed them. And surely the Bible is correct when it speaks of us as God's creation, saying we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Certainly a wondrous in the sense of, sense of exaltation, but even more so in the sense of the mysticism of it all. The wonder of finding something new. They have found layer upon layer of biological realities, cellular, microcellular, even now we use terms called nano, which of course we can use a more useful term, teeny-weeny, you can't see it, yet it's there. And not only there, but functional. What I have learned is that we're still discovering. Any true scientist will say, we don't know everything. As soon as a scientist says they know everything, you may use another good playground saying, and I give you freedom to say this, and it's this. Liar, liar, pants on fire. Nose as long as a telephone wire. Learned that from my pastor. It's only applicable to this area just this one time. Because it is indeed a lie to say we know how God does this and how it indeed does for certainly you do not know the way of the wind. I've heard many meteorologists and their predictions. And then they entered in computer modeling, the European model and the United States model, which don't always agree, yet they predict. And it's amazing how right they are most of the time. But not all of the time. For they are not omniscient. 
How do the bones of a baby grow in the womb of her who is with child? It is the wonderment of motherhood. How can it be that the mother looks down at herself and sees in this little burgeoning area in her midsection something happening and growing and increasing? How is it that this is done? Certainly biological science can get into the hormonal things that are taking place. It can get into the different types of things that are going on the cellular level and the macro level and all of the different things that is going on between mother and child, but they really don't know how bones grow in the womb. I mean, think about it. How does this even happen? When I studied reproductive science, I was appalled at its complexity at the level we knew it then. Brothers and sisters, it's impossible for you to get pregnant if you just look at the apparatus God made. There's some mystical jump across and then in. How did, and then another mystical union and how does that happen? And some will say, I don't know, but it happens to me a lot. And that is a blessing. But God has made it wondrous. He's made it difficult for us to understand. The mechanics of it, I was talking to Vicki about it this week. I was saying, you know, if I was going to design it, it seems like there'd be like an easier way. But this is God's perfect way. We don't know how it works, so you do not know the works of God who makes everything. There is something rather than nothing because God made it all. And we are simply learning about it. And motherhood is what we are going to look at today. Today we're going to look at four mothers mentioned in Genesis and one in Exodus. So that we may honor the high position of mother and motherhood. And so that we may teach our children and our children's children and everyone we know to value motherhood. I want to take you back to the beginning, for that is where it started in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. To understand motherhood, one must understand God who created and why he created. And in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, we read something that is that is rather striking, and striking in the sense of surprising, if you really think about it. Perhaps for some of you it's so normative we pass by it very quickly, shaking our heads, yes, but maybe not dwelling on it like we should. Today let's dwell there just a wee bit. Genesis 2 and verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother... And be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I don't think anyone understands that in total. And I think that's part of why we're here for a while, is to try and understand that. And in understanding that, you need to understand God. Therefore is, in the text, therefore for us to look at the context. There is a context that comes before this. There is a man who is created by God named Adam. And God took the man, verse 15, 
chapter 2 of Genesis, and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Notice he did not ask Adam, what would you like to do? What task would you like to employ yourself with? And how would you like to function here in my creation? Those options were not given. This was given. The Lord took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden uh, to tend and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. That's a commandment of protection. Verse 18, And God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Don't eat of this tree. It's not good for you to be alone. Immediately, God starts teaching the man about what's best for him. Here's what you're supposed to do. Now here's what's best for you, and it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make you a helper comparable to you. And so then God brings all the animals, and this is on the day, the sixth day, and he brings all the animals before Adam and gives Adam the privilege of naming the animals, whatever he would name them, and whatever he named them, that was their name. Let me just give you a few things for free. When God creates, he can create with the appearance of age, and he can do his creation with a certain level of intellect and understanding and even vocal ability, for that's what he did with Adam. Adam was created. It's not good for you to be alone. Here's the animals. Name them. And Adam, just created, names them all. And he learns a lesson. There was no creature compatible with him of all of the animals he named. And verse 21 is the gracious God who first teaches the reason why he's going to do it, shows the man that it's a necessity in his life that he would have a woman, he would have someone. And then in verse 22, well, let's look at 21. The Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. That's the first nap in the Bible, the first anesthesiology in the world. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to him. And Adam said, Woohoo! He didn't really say it that way, but in a sense he did. Listen to what Adam said. He said, Now, after naming all of the animals, after seeing all of the perfection of God's creation, he had come to the realization it is not good for him to be alone in the work that God had given him to do to fit and keep the garden. Therefore, man here is given this. And he says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Do you think about that? You probably don't. Certainly in our culture, in our society, no woman wants to be referred to as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Come here, give me a smooch, sweetie. Them's love words right from the Bible. But they are indeed love words of the greatest and dearest kind. 
But not understanding these doesn't negates the ability to enter into a marriage relationship with a realization of how you are part and parcel of each other. For the very first, out of man, of all of the things he created, it was this one, these creatures, this one, whom he put to sleep, took from what already was created, and then made a woman from the substance of the man. When God was creating originally, he spoke from his own power, from the nothingness that was there, and he created somethingness. That's my own theological term. You can quote me. But from his own power, he made the material world, all the things that are here. But this one, this woman, he made out of man. Unity. Communion, harmony. So when Paul will tell us to love husbands, your wives as your own body, we're talking Genesis as well. We're of the same substance and we're designed to fit, comparable to you necessary for you so you will not be alone and she either so Adam says she shall be called a woman for she was taken out of the man therefore a man shall leave his father and mother wait a minute Adam didn't have a father hold on a second didn't have a mother neither. How'd this get here? What's it doing on the page of Scripture here? All of a sudden, creation. From creation, substance from one creature made into another, now called woman, therefore. Therefore, because I created this thus, they made this two into one this way, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother. And it is so important that the man leave his father and mother, but yet there is not one. So what's he doing? He's teaching. That indelibly tied to the maleness and femaleness of God's creation, of the man and of the woman, is the idea of union in marriage brought forward immediately in the text. I made you with a purpose. It's not good for you to be alone. Now, come together. And stay together. So what is going on in our world is an undermining of this great and glorious and beautiful thing which God has done. The mysticism of it all is beyond us. The creation of it and the way in this has happened, we do not know. We believe. But the reality of it is all around us. There are men and there are women. Those are the two genders made by God. May I say this clearly? Period. And no society may speak into this and say otherwise without becoming a laughing stock to themselves 
and a disaster to their lives. For it is not good for a man to be alone. And a man married to a man, guess what he still is? Alone. And a woman married to a woman, guess what she still is? She is alone. And if you marry your dog as some fool has done, then you're even more alone and more foolish than anyone could ever imagine. And if you marry two women instead of one at the same time, you have just brought on yourself the whirlwind that you can read your Bible and see that this isn't very fun. What have I done to myself? And then if you try to make believe that you're a man and, and act like a woman, or a woman and act like a man, you have done the very same thing as taking what is glorious, beautiful, wonderful, and necessary, and you've adulterated it, you ruined it, your life will never be fulfilled, you will never have peace on earth, you will always be in the turmoil of your own rebellion. I don't even have to prove it biblically, I can prove it statistically. But biblically, it makes more sense. I'm not here to rail against the LGBTQ plus movement. I'm here to glorify God in the man and woman movement. To be a woman presupposes whiffery. What's whiffery? To be a wife. To be a wife. You know how rare it is to find a young woman in her teenage years with the primary goal of becoming a wife? This is the plague of our society that we are not raising even our girls in church to have being a wife to a good and godly man as their primary goal. And so therefore, we do not have a direct line to motherhood. We're skipping it with something else. What is it? You can see, you can hear, this is the goal. I've given you work to do, Adam, and you need help. Here she is, comparable to you. How can it be that we become a society that cannot appreciate this, cannot glorify this, cannot proclaim this? Where are we men? Where are we women who are not training others behind us to say, glorify God, be thou married as a goal. We need to get the boys out of the basements. We need to get the girls out of the career paths. And we need to get them back together in marriage and then go ahead with life. Did I just say that in church? good. It needs to be say not said not only in church, but be bold and brave on the outside, or Mother's Day doesn't mean anything. It is a balm upon a cancer if we have one day a year where we decide motherhood's okay, and the rest of the time we destroy it. The first mention of father and mother as a basic unit of human function and life has gone and come forth in Genesis right here. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. There shall be more fathers, there shall be more mothers, and there shall need to be more families. And what God's joined together, let no one separate. How glorious. How glorious it must have been when Adam and Eve 
live together in innocence. There was no trouble in the marriage relationship. There was no angst. There was no anger. There was no vexation. There was no troubles and trials. There was harmonious living, working, serving, walking with God. Oh, I think it's time for God to walk with us in the cool of the evening. Come on, Eve, let's go. Yes, darling. And off they went. I would know this. Would you not? But sin entered the world and death through sin. And since then, Satan and our own sin have been seeking to separate us from this glorious thing. But let me tell you something else. The first mention of father and mother is here. And then also the first mention of the position of wife is here. And as soon as you say wife, as soon as you say wife as a term, the term presupposes the instituting of the marriage covenant. And even the possessive nature of that relationship to the wife. Note. Note. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Baby, you're mine. All mine. Nobody else's. Mine. I was studying Hebrew when Vicki and I hit our 10th anniversary. And as every new fledgling Hebrew student wants to do, you want to use some of your language. And stealthfully I made a ring. Well, I hired a guy who makes rings. To make one. Are you wearing it today? She's wearing it today. Scribed in Hebrew on the inside of that ring is this. Lo, dilo, va'anilo. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Song of Solomon. I love that ring. I love it that she wears it. We have to teach that love of possession. The world says, no, you need to be independent. Baloney. It's not good for man to be alone. You are not independent. You are dependent. The man is dependent upon his wife and she is dependent upon him. Get over it. Start enjoying it. Lodi lo. Va'ani lo. My beloved is mine. And I am his. Do not leave your wife Don't leave your parents until you have a wife. Might be here. I'm not sure. Good reason to leave, guys. Take a wife. But when you leave, don't bring mom with you. She don't fit. That's for free. And no other leaving and joining language is ever used by God except for the husband 
and the wife. That's it. Jesus himself will instill this in all of his followers when his, the Pharisees came to test him. And of course, they go right to the sin of man, divorce. And they say this in Matthew chapter 19. And I start reading in verse 3. The Pharisees also came down to him, Jesus, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he, Jesus, answered and said to them, I love this. Have you not read? The presupposition is that they've read their Bibles. The presupposition should be that we have read the Bible, for we are called Christians of Christ. Have you not read, Jesus says, that he who made them at the beginning, listen, made them male and female. If you want to know something to say into this society, you should say, have you not read that in the beginning God made them male and female? That's a great place to start. You can just stop there and wait for them to answer. See what happens. I think you might be surprised how they already know this and may accept it. Jesus said, it made them male and female, verse 5 now of Matthew 19, and said, for this meet reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer one flesh. I'm going to read that again. This is called emphasizing a point. So then they are no longer one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. On Mother's Day, the first mother in the Bible is one you can't see. There hasn't been one yet. Eve hasn't had a child yet. It's one God declares. A father and a mother are soon to come. Mother and wife and motherhood and womanhood are bound together in harmonious beauty, purposeful, glorious functionality. That's what God designed. Point two. The second mother I wish to talk about in Genesis. Turn to Genesis chapter 3. Eve, the first mother. Eve, the first mother and the source of all human life, the source of all human life. Look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. And Adam called his wife's name Eve. Yes, he didn't just continue calling her woman the whole time. He called his wife's name Eve. Why? Because she was the mother of all living. So Adam had named all the animals. Now Adam names his wife. Now I'm not saying that should be a practice in the world. This is just the first thing that happened. And it happened as a theological belief system. That God had told them to fill the earth and multiply. And Adam assumes it's going to work. And so he names his wife Eve knowing that she will be the mother of all living. The mother of all who live. 
Think about motherhood, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and you think about life. Life. If you are alive today, it is because you got life through your mother. Some fellow out there might say, well, I did have something to do with it, you know. Yeah, well, we're not talking about you today. That's in June. And this is the Bible saying that she is the mother of all living. So the life and only life can only come through a woman. That's the only way it happens. Our world is in such a state of foolishness, turning everything on its head and upside down, but it does not change the fact that if you were born, you were born from a mother, you had life from her, and there is no other way. A life giver. An amazing, amazing reality. Look, if you will, back to Genesis 2-7. And 2-7 says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. How did Adam get life? Adam got life directly from God. He became a living being, and from that living being, he took a part of that living being and made a woman and made her into that vessel that for all history of mankind would be the propagator of all life. That is the value of motherhood. That is the wonderment of motherhood. That is the glory of God, the one who gives life, giving to women this privilege. Do you think women are not important? Think again. Without them, there is no life. We will all die. But who will bring more life? But the woman, God gave the living being and then he gave the gift of life to Eve and to every woman who would follow after her. By the way, did you um, notice where Genesis 3.20 comes? Genesis 3.20 comes at the end of the curse. The curses. Adam and Eve in chapter 3 have fallen. They've eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Eve has been deceived by the serpent. The serpent has been cursed. And the woman has been cursed. And now she gets greatly multiplied sorrow in, in, in your conception. And in pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There's something here. There's something here that goes along with motherhood and it's hope at the end of sin and curse and it's brought here by God. At the end of the curse, we should all just go, oh no, it's over. It's such a ruined deal. This is bad, man. This is way bad. And it is. And it is only God who brings redemption and hope. Remember what he told the serpent? 
the serpent who had deceived Eve. And he says, I don't want to read it all. I just want to center on verse 15 of chapter 3. God, in his cursing of the servant, says, I will put enmity, means a spirit of fighting, an enemy spirit, between you and the woman. Between you, you serpent, and the woman. And that doesn't just mean that girls don't like snakes. Know that there is something about the way Satan works that attacks women. It attacks women in their womanliness. That's why the sin of abortion is from Satan. And our cultural mores that are switching away from the valuing of mothers is from Satan and his attack on what makes women so gloriously special. I will put enmity between you and the woman, listen, and between your seed and her seed. She's going to be the mother of all living. Through her, life will come. They just ate of the knowledge of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God said, when they ate of that knowledge, they would be surely dead. You will surely die. Death came into the world, we learn in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And death through sin through that man, Adam. And everyone was cursed with it. Yet right after this, God gives the hope of life. And he gives the hope of life through the seed of the woman. And it is through this seed, down through the lines, seed after seed after seed, growing into man and woman and man and woman and man and woman and man and woman, until the seed of Mary, God's Holy Spirit brings his son to, and that seed becomes Jesus Christ, a hope for a dying world through a mother in the long line since Eve, fulfilled in Mary, and continues today A hope. It is that we learn in the book of Acts when Paul is talking to the Grecian philosophers, he tells them that it is God, this creator God, made all mankind of one blood. Of one blood. There is hope in that reality that we share the blood of Adam and Eve down through the ages, fulfilling the purposes of God that will have its final fruition in God's plans and purposes. The miracle of life, being a life giver, carrying life, nurturing life, bringing forth life, we have got to get back to these types of terms when we talk about pregnancy We've kind of gotten a little cold in our talking about how it works. We say things like conception, which I'll concede is good. The Bible says she conceived. That's a good word. We use terms like gestation, trimesters. We use things like prepartum, postpartum. May I just say coldly, 
clinical, lacking in all awe and majesty. How about these couple of Bible terms that I would alternate in here, if you would allow me. For conception, as we've read in the Bible, the Lord opened her womb. If we talk that way, wouldn't that even in itself be a declaration? For gestation, we could use the term, she is with child. Or we could use for postpartum, the fruit of the womb. And as we read of Mary, she brought forth firstborn child wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, the giver of life. Number three. Sarah, Genesis 17. Sarah, the mother of the covenant people. Sarah, the mother of the covenant people. Abraham and Sarah are an oft-told story. It is a true story about real people. A man named Abram who was called by God out of Ur the Chaldees with his wife to sojourn in a land that God would show him. And God had covenanted with this man. And God had said he would make him a great nation, but Sarai, his wife, was barren. Sarai could not have children. And it is really in this story that the pain of not having children is brought forth. The difficulty of a woman who cannot have children is seen and felt. And it is interesting, again and again, God has used women and kept them barren until a particular time. Even Hannah barren until God opened her womb and gave her the prophet, priest, and also judge Samuel. And even in the family of, of Jacob, bringing life from where there wasn't any. But here, here's Sarai, an old woman. I mean an old woman. Let me just, she's an old woman. And I don't say that disrespectfully, I say that factually. And Abram, 10 years her senior. God said, and in, in by way of covenant, in Genesis 17 and verse 15 through 16, and we read, Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall, her, shall be her name. Listen, and I, God said, and I, God said, will bless her and also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her and she shall be a mother of nations, kings of people shall be from her. A mother of nations, true, of kings, true, of peoples, true from her. Motherhood by the covenant of God. I'd like to read another verse, if you wouldn't mind. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. 
By the way, some of you know this. When God opened Sarah's womb, she was 90. 90 years old. Think about it. Don't think too hard, but think about it. Abraham was 100 years old. He thought his body was dead too. And so he laughed. And said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Then he tries to talk God out of it. Sounds like us. So interesting that they named their child Isaac, which means laughter. I think the laughter of astonishment turned to laughter of joy. The covenant people. For this comes after God gave the covenant to Abraham. And I'll leave you to read that. The covenant of circumcision, the covenant that God makes, that all males shall be marked with. Sarah is the mother of that covenant people. And even the stranger who comes into their midst shall be circumcised as a form of the covenant, a promise. To Eve, you give life. To Sarah, you're a mother of the covenant promises of God. Without a mother, a woman who bore the promised son in her womb, there would be no fulfillment of promise, no people of God, no Israel, no tribe of Judah, no Savior Jesus born in Bethlehem to save mankind from a mother. And Abraham knew his wife, and Sarah conceived and bore a son, and Abraham laughed for joy. Number four, Rebekah, the mother of thousands of ten thousands. Genesis 24. Genesis 24, Rebekah, the mother of thousands of ten thousands. Chapter 24, verse 1 begins this way. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh. And before you think that's weird, that's a way covenant promises were sealed. The person who was taking the vow would put their hand under the leg, under the thigh of the one who was making the promise with him as a form of making that bond. We shake hands. This is a little different. This meant more, at least as shaking hands do now, sadly. Verse 3, And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. This is a protective act of a father. But you shall go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. And he does this so he's not infected with the Canaanite religions. And the servant said to him, you know, he said, but you should go to my country and for my kindred take a wife for my son Isaac. And then verse 5, and the servant said to him, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I take your son back to that land from which you came? 
But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. Why? Because he doesn't want him to be infected with the sin of Ur of the Chaldees. He's keeping this only son close. And if the woman will not follow you, she's released, he tells him. And we know the story, how he travels back to the land where Abraham came from. And he makes a, a deal with God. And he says, God, if I come into this place where Abraham's town is, show me a woman. And when I come to the well with all of our entourage and camels and so forth, and there was a vast number of them who came, if I ask a young woman to give me water and she gives me water, and then if she offers to water my camels and the livestock, let her be the one. And so it was that Rebecca showed up right away to the well with her pitcher, and he asked her for a drink of water, and she gave it. And then Rebecca, good little servant that she is, offered to water all the camels. Well, you know what? Have you ever watered horses or sheep and that sort of thing? That's one thing. But from what I understand, camels can drink an awful lot if they're thirsty. And back and forth to the well she went until it was all done and finished and she was the one. Genesis 24, 53, Then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold, clothing, and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. In verse 55, the brother asks, her brother and her mother said, Let the young woman stay with us a few days at least, ten, after she may go. But the servant said, no, let her go. They said, well, let's ask Rebecca. Do you want to go? She says, I'll go. And so in Genesis 24, 60, we read, and they blessed Rebecca and said to her, our sister, may you become, listen, the mother of thousands, of ten thousands. May your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them of those who hate them. It is this woman who would bring forth two children, two twins who would struggle mightily within her. Verse 21, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, in chapter 25, verse 21, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, if all is well, why am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. You know who these two are, right? Jacob and Esau. Esau, the older, would become the father of the nation Edom. And Jacob, his name would be changed to Israel through his mother. Thousands and tens of thousands. Number five, Exodus chapter two, let me read beginning in verse one. 
The mother of Moses who defied Pharaoh is here. Exodus 2, starting in verse 1. And a man of the house of Levi went and took a wife, a daughter of Levi. See, he left his father and mother. He cleaved to his wife. So the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was beautiful, she was a beautiful child, she hid him three months. Why did she do that? Because Israel was growing strong in the land of Egypt, and the Pharaoh had decided that no more male children would be born. Not having the technology of abortion like we do, he went to the midwives and commanded them to kill all of the male children of Israel, but the midwives wouldn't do it. And they told Pharaoh that they're so strong, they have them too fast, we can't get there in time. And God blessed them and gave them a land and a family because of that. But yet it went on. It was punishable, kind of like it is in China, to have these children. But this mother hid her child for three months. She defied Pharaoh. She defied the law. She risked her own life to save her child. Let's see what God does. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's bank. And his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to, the, to bathe at the river, and her maidens walked along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women, that, he may nurse, that she may nurse the child for you? Now I want you to pay attention here to verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the maiden went and called the child's mother. A mother took a risk to have a child, put her life at risk to save a child, and God blessed her with the return of that child. And Pharaoh adopted, Pharaoh's daughter adopted that child, and she was raised by her own mother. Verse 10 says, And the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. So she called her name Moses, saying, Because I drew him out of the water. How different this attitude is than the attitude in our world today. What risk are you willing to take to be a mother? How far will you go to protect your child? Are there not yet some mother bears still to be born who will protect their child at all cost? Who will sacrifice for a child? Who will risk the inconvenience of their life-changing entrance into their life? Who will risk their career and money for the interruption of a child? Who will change their sinful lifestyle and embrace motherhood?
It must mean something that God has commanded in his commandments. Honor thy father and thy mother. That your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Surely motherhood is worthy of honor. Surely fatherhood is worthy of honor. Lord, will you help us honor motherhood? Let's pray. Lord God, how precious are mothers in your sight. And how valuable and sanctified they are in our sight. May we honor them. May we raise them up in multiplicity to fill the earth and multiply. May you help us in this endeavor. And would you aid us in standing against those who would fight against motherhood, who would denigrate its glorious high position. And may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.